0: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103.
2: And good morning on this Friday morning. I'm mixed bag weatherwise again today. And I'm not too sure of the thunder issue last night. Some areas of Cork, I think the whole is going to be worse than what it was. I didn't hear too many reports overnight of thunderstorms in the Cork area. Anyhow, hopefully you didn't, uh, uh, weren't woken up by them overnight. Uh, Bernie takes your calls and comments at 1850 333 103. Or indeed, you can text or WhatsApp 086 2103 103. You can email this morning jp at c103.ie. Or indeed, tweet at C103 Cork and ahead on this morning's show we're going to be joined in studio by the Agricultural Minister Michael Creed he'll be speaking to us about an event which is taking place next Monday in Little Island on Brexit but also on the last number of weeks with regarding the beef industry and the talks that are ongoing at the moment between farming groups and factories. So a deal could be made on a base price for farmers when it comes to the sale of of beef uh, to the particular factories and the cattle to the factories to produce beef. Uh, Farmers want that particular base price. Some have received that in other parts of the country as far as we know, at the moment, uh, talks are still ongoing for a particular base price for farmers here in the Cork area. We'll be discussing that and more with Minister Creed on the programme later. We're going to hear also how energy poverty remains a major issue affecting large volumes of households across the country. We'll discuss that with St Vincent in the poll because there is a worry now due to the fact uh, that carbon tax is to be introduced in this particular budget already. We have heard, not so much last winter, but the winter before, if we do get another cold winter in this particular country, we had the situation of people ringing us who could not afford the heating, be that coal or be that gas they had or or oil. Uh, They would put on the heating for an hour in the evening and then either they might do that just before they go to bed or they might just go outside. Go to a local bar, go to a local cafe, sit there for a while so they can avail of the heat from those particular premises, go back to their house, wrap up well put on the heating and then go to bed. But they were well wrapped up going to bed as well in full clothes, all because they could not afford to run the heating for the entire evening. That's another fear uh, that St Vincent de Paul and others are worried about with the introduction of this particular carbon tax that we'll see all oil, gas more than likely increase, but also the increase in coal. A bag of coal seemingly from what we're hearing from coal suppliers here in Cork it could go up by €3 euro or more. Anyhow, discussing that this morning. And how would you like to work four days a week? We're going to hear about a campaign that is underway to get Ireland working four days. Would it work? Would you prefer uh, to be off the Friday or the Monday? Or would it just simply work? You work Monday, the Thursday, and then you're off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Some companies in Ireland are doing this already. Some companies are allowing the workforce uh, take Friday off maybe or Monday off and work from home if they have the facility to do that, if they more or less can do their work from a computer or laptop at home. And then there's some countries already that are implementing this that are allowing workers to work four days. Uh, but could it work in every industry? And, and how would it work when it comes to hospitals or indeed farms or, or other industries where you are 24-7? And how would it work for the private sector? Would they make you work 12-hour days, Monday to, th- to Thursday to get your Friday off? Anyhow, we'll discuss that uh, with Forza uh, the union who is uh, proposing this, along with others. Uh, something that other countries have done, companies doing it. Would it work, though, across uh, the employment network? And would managers be happy with this? I mean, could companies miss deadlines because of people off uh, for uh, one day every week? also we're going to our movies and we'll be reviewing with uh, Mark on the movie review and across the morning your chance to win the It's the world premiere was in Cork asking for it by Cork's own Louise O'Neill it returns to the Everyman uh, from uh, Thursday which was yesterday it's in it's in at the moment right through until Saturday the 5th of October we have tickets for this award-winning production for next Monday the 30th of September at 730 at the Everyman and if you'd like to go stay with us we'll give you a chance chance to win those particular tickets across the show today right through between now and one and yesterday we had a lot of people on to us from the Ballydesmond area and this was regarding problems uh, which started yesterday morning uh, that the water basically was switched off in Bally Desmond, no water supply it caused a lot of problems in the area yesterday for many businesses and indeed uh, schools and whatnot. now the problems uh, were resolved yesterday afternoon and water started filtering through the pipes late in the afternoon and it took about five or six hours of Irish water and local councillors were telling us before everybody would get their water uh, hopefully at this stage everybody affected should have water Again, in Um, uh, Ballydesmond, a lot of people have been on to us to make sure that this does not happen again. So we are going to double check with the council and local councillors on what the situation is with the particular supply of water to Ballydesmond. A big area of that particular village were affected yesterday. And obviously enough, the amount of texts we're getting, people don't want this to happen again a lot of uh, texters texting in saying they're concerned, belly Desmond's listeners and residents, and they don't want this debacle to go along again. So we are checking that out for you. Uh, it's a situation we can't get into in full detail on air for the moment, but we are checking it out with the council to see could this happen again or what is the situation? And we will let you know on what we hear back and it, what is the future when it comes to water supply networks across the country, if something like this could happen that could affect an entire area. Anyhow, thank you for your text and I hope uh, the water at this stage has returned to all in Ballydesmond that were affected yesterday you heard Barry on the news there Louis Capaldi he has sold out for his concert next year at Irish Independent Park and with a a big reaction on the C103 Facebook page yesterday afternoon when it was announced that Celine Dion her two Irish concerts uh, they have been revealed and she will sing at the Three Arena in Dublin on the 14th and 15th of September next year so a year away but she hasn't played Ireland since 2008 when she performed at Crow Park are you a fan Uh, would you go along and see Celine Dion next year at the 3 Arena Uh, it's a year away so plenty of time to uh, decide if you would or not anyhow a lot of fans on our Facebook page uh, yesterday afternoon asking us to play Celine so here she is at C103 and on the way we are going to discuss and I'm sure you would have seen that programme last night on primetime uh, the parents and the family of murdered Cork student Nicholas Sweeney uh, a few comments in on that I'll get to those uh, as well on the show and we did speak with Sally Hanlon on the uh, who supports many of those who are affected by crime in the Cork area yesterday on the issue of sentencing and the sentences that are handed down to those who commit crimes in this particular country uh, we'll go to your calls and comments on that as well but for those of you who are C&D on fans here she is Is but that's the way it is. Ah, That's C103. And good morning to you Bernie takes your calls and comments 1850-333-103 I did mention we have the Agricultural Minister Michael Creed on with us later if you have a question for Michael maybe you are one of those farmers who was affected or still is affected by uh, what is happening in the beef industry you can uh, call Bernie with any questions you have for Michael we'll put that to him uh, later you can call 1850-333-103 or text or WhatsApp 86 2103 103 Minister Creed joining us after 11 uh, but just on uh, on the programme last night and we discussed this yesterday uh, with Sally Hannan who supports victims of crime here in the Cork area. And this was the program on Primetime. And the parents and family of the murdered Cork student, Nicholas Sweeney, they say they fear uh, that her killer could strike again when he is released on parole. Now, the Primetime documentary heard the concerns of, of Nicholas' family and indeed of the surviving victim of that particular attack over 17 years ago because Nicholas Sweeney, who was age 20, and was stamped to death by Peter Whelan at her home in Rochestown on April in 2002 her friend Sinead O'Leary who you would have seen if you watched that particular documentary last night she was 19 at the time and she suffered the horrific attack but suffered life changing injuries because of the particular attack uh, Peter Whedon was sentenced to life in prison for murder and 15 years for attempted murder both to run consecutively but concerns were expressed about moves towards a parole in the case as well as shock at hearing of his escorted day releases from prison and indeed uh, those releases were visits to Cork now Outlined her fear on the program last night, uh, and obviously enough, the family are quite upset at this particular move. Uh, we have a number of comments on that. Here's just some of them that have come into us over the course of the morning from those who watched that particular program last night. Uh, Louis says, "So sad watching that program last night. What is it with our justice system? It seems to protect the criminal or the wrongdoer more than the victim." While Dan says, "Again." We need to reform our justice system. We just keep getting it wrong. We seem to have more sympathy for the person who does the particular crime than the victim. We just need an overhaul of our justice system. When will we ever learn? This is another case that is showing our system is broken. While Carmel said, I cried watching the family last night on primetime. Uh, That girl's poor mother. I understand uh, why he that man that's Peter Whedon was left out for a family bereavement but that should be it not being left out for this and that and visits uh, so sad watching the particular family last night that are broken by Nicola's death and Breda says we need tougher laws no wonder we have crime in this particular country where is the deterrent they have luxurious prisons they go in and do a sentence which should be a lot longer than what they get and then we have this scenario where they they are escorted day releases from prison and then are allowed to visit the area where they are from and indeed the area where the crime took place. No wonder people are worried when they walk the streets when this is what we see from our justice system. My thoughts and prayers are with Nicola's family. It says Breda on text to 0862103103 and yes I mean the watching the poor mother her brothers um, and her father last night it was just so sad a young girl 20 years old uh, full of life uh, and this to happen uh, in our family home in Rochester Town 17 years ago and then to hear uh, this decision uh, being made you can see why it's causing so much upset to the family obviously enough but also to others who have been affected by crime and just people who are watching that particular programme last night uh, we thank you for your calls and texts and on a different issue totally we we were told this about a month ago and this was the closure of North Main Street in Bandon now the street itself if you're from the area or a commuter through Bandon, and it was closed for the summer So a lot of traffic diversions in place The Residents especially on the old Cork Road In Bandon were concerned At the traffic levels Up and down that particular road Narrow road uh, A lot of uh, bumps, ramps On that particular road as well So that did slow traffic down somewhat But the amount of traffic That travelled that road Was probably more uh, Than the road can cater for Anyhow Cork County Council told us The street was to open today As far as I know it's still it is still closed but uh, Deputy Margaret Murphy Mani has been in touch with us and North Main Street in Bandon is to open this evening and I'm sure that's welcome news for uh, many commuters and indeed to the people of Bandon so North Main Street in Bandon to open this evening to traffic once again and that will also alleviate the fares of those on the Old Cork Road in Bandon but also reduce journey times for many who were going different routes to get home and to get around the town of Bandon so North Main Street reopening this evening in in abandon and scientists have found out this and I'm sure a lot of parents will go we did need a scientist to tell us this but if you're dealing with a teenager who is sulking because uh, they're trying to do their homework and it's proving an impossible possible task for them well it seems that according to researchers they have discovered the key to getting your teen to do homework lies in the voice. You might say we knew that already but uh, it seems parents who speak in a controlling tone were less likely to gain cooperation from their children than those who are using a warm, friendly and supportive tone advice. So if you're speaking in a pressurising way to your young person at home, it make them feel under more pressure, gloomy, miserable, they get angry and then they get more emotional about the whole situation and then they shut down so the key is to speak in a warm friendly voice, so instead of shouting at them, do your homework, uh, rephrase it, say it in a nice way according to scientists but I'm sure many parents already uh, would have learned that over the years and Patrick Street, the car ban on Patrick Street which runs from 3 to 6.30 we heard fines that were being issued for those to continue to drive on Patrick Street while the car ban is in place. The Green Party are now looking to extend the time of the street closure to cars and they want that brought back to midday so it would close from midday to 6.30 not too sure if you agree or not with that particular proposal and um, would that add, add more traffic to the City keys? and we know Clonacilty last year became one of Ireland's first, the first town actually in Ireland to become an autism friendly town Mallon now looks like it's going to become the second town to do that we know Caulf- or we know that Scally's I was going to say Caulfields that's abandoned Scally's super value in Clonakilty, one of the first stores to become autism friendly and then Dano's super value in Malo also had that initiative running at Dano's and because the super values were involved it seems Mallon now would be the next town to become autism friendly here in Cork and we'd have to say Good morning to a number of the businesswomen from across Ireland. Uh, they're being celebrated today at a major conference here in Cork. Over 250 national and international delegates are gathering to highlight the role women have played in building and sustaining the Irish economy in recent years. Uh, President of Network Ireland is Helen Witchley, of course, from the well known family that owned the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. And that is where the conference is being held today. So a good boost for us holding that conference today in the Celtic Ross. Our lines are open 1850 333 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 086. Two one zero three one zero three. We're discussing the issue of energy poverty and how that is a huge concern uh, for many households, especially with the introduction of this carbon tax, as due to come into the budget. We'll discuss that next.
1: Call today on C one zero three. Call Patricia with your comment. Eighteen
2: fifty three 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 one zero three. Energy poverty, this remains a major issue affecting a large volume of households and there is fears that this could get worse with the introduction of carbon tax in this particular budget. Well, Kieran Stafford is National President of St. Vincent de Paul and he joins me. Good morning to you, Kieran.
3: Good morning, John Paul. How
2: are you? I'm fine, thanks, and thanks for joining us this morning. Now, many callers here are concerned about the upcoming budget with the increase in the price of coal. And more than likely in gas and oil. A few euro might seem like nothing to some members of society, but this can be huge to others who cannot heat their home adequately at the moment and are worried if we are going to get a cold winter.
3: Well, exactly. I think people are are, are well within their rights to worry about this. Um, You know, we we deal obviously with people who are on low income and are struggling on a day to day basis. So, any kind of an increase in the cost of you know, buying your your bank of coal or or your bill of briquettes or or you know paying your your uh, your oil bill or whatever uh, is going to heap even more misery on top of people who are al- already struggling.
2: We mentioned the fuel allowance and how that can help. Is it enough?
3: It certainly isn't. You know, it's not even restored back to the two thousand and ten um, uh, levels. Uh, you know, we're now into two thousand nine, so we're be a decade away from that. Um, fuel has gone up nearly thirty percent since then. Uh, And, uh, you know, we're we're still not back to 2010 levels. So if you heat even more increases on top of that, uh, you know, what's that going to do? I mean, we already see people who are unable to heat their homes. Um, You know, we go into houses where elderly people have to go to bed at six and seven o'clock in the evening because they simply can't heat their homes.
2: Yeah and that's what we're hearing here as well I'm just reading a call uh, Bernie has got and I know we've got them over time from people who leave their home will go to a cafe or a bar stay there Mm. to avail of the heat and then go home put on the heating and go to bed Our latest caller Mary says she dreads the winter she will be wrapped up in two coats fully clothed going to bed because she cannot simply afford the heat to heat her particular home She has gone for grants to insulate her home and she's got those for some uh, but still the price increase for insulation and she also feels the fuel allowance isn't enough for her so she will suffer over the winter that's just one call from Mary there Kieran, and we've also heard up the country in other areas where people are getting on trains to avail of the heat
3: Yeah I mean it's very sad really you know to listen to all of those, those those stories and they're absolutely true um, you know, we have people who are struggling just to pay the rent, you know, to keep the roof over their head, uh, to put food on the table and to ensure that their kids have what they need to go to, to, to school, you know, in terms of books and clothes and, and various other things, um, you know, and they're not heating their homes. I mean, a survey done uh, in 2017 found that 400,000 people, 400,000, uh, weren't able to heat their, their homes adequately.
2: That's a lot, a lot of, uh, of communities and indeed people affect it. and it will more than likely stay like that if this particular carbon tax is due to come in. I mean, have you heard anything definite about this and how much it will increase fuel for those people involved?
3: um i mean we we uh, in our pre budget um uh, um submission to government um mm. you, you know we 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 you know we have um uh, put forward the the theory you know that that there could be increases of ten euro on a bag of coal, which would be catastrophic i think for people trying to eat their homes and trying to get by. Um, you know, people are very, very worried. I mean, look, we, we absolutely uh, um, support the concept of um, uh, climate action, uh, you know, because it actually affects the poorest, the, the most, you, you know, uh, adverse weather, weather conditions. Um, but if if a carbon tax is going to be introduced, and it certainly looks if that will be the case, then you have to poverty-proof uh, any measures that are brought in because people simply cannot afford to heat their homes as it stands at the moment. So if you put more uh, costs on top of that... Um, you you know you're you're going to have situations where people um, are are even less able to to, to do that people are going to get sick um, and and you're going to pile even more misery on top of people who are already suffering and and, and find themselves in difficulty
2: You mentioned your pre-budget submission there what did you make of the fact that a report yesterday in the Irish Independent claimed the Department of Finance and Climate Action that they have not carried out a review on how this will affect low income families by the intro of carbon
3: tax Yeah, I saw that, and I have to say that I was really, really disappointed to see that. Um, You know, I think it's pretty um, clear that um, uh, poverty action has not been prioritised by government Um, You know, we haven't seen a whole-of-government poverty uh, strategy since John Bruton was Taoiseach, you know, think back that that, that long. So certainly people in poverty have not been um, regarded and have not been a priority. And the thing of it is is, is that it's very, very short-sighted because poverty hurts us all. The cost of of supporting people who are in poverty um, uh, far exceeds um, uh, what it would cost to invest in people, to invest in in proper housing, to invest in education and and having people uh, 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 subsequently being able to reach their, their potential. So it's really short sighted. And I personally am very, very disappointed to see that.
2: And do they need to look at the profits from the fossil fuel industry? Some of them are making large profits. Does that need to be looked at?
3: absolutely uh, I think everything should be on the table and there certainly should be considered a tax on the utility companies you know I certainly think that that should be the way why should it always be the consumer that has to pay the price you know we see um, uh, we've seen cost of uh, uh, increases in, in the PSA levy you know with, with the uh, utility providers and these are, are already hugely prof- profitable companies who could more than carry the the, the you know the cost that they're constantly passing on to the consumers people who, who you know from all walks of life who are Unable to afford, uh, you know, any kind of increases in the
2: cost of living. Well, we'll wait and see what happens. Is but we'll know more in the next few weeks following the budget. For the moment, Kieran, thanks for joining us this morning on that particular issue. Kieran Stafford, there, national president of Saint Vincent de Paul. Um, mixed reports coming in on that it's sad to see calls coming in to us from people who are dreading that we will get a cold winter because they know uh, that they will suffer and like Kira mentioned there are people uh, staying inside going to bed early dressing up in full clothing to stay warm that is the reality for just not all our callers obviously but some of our callers feel they could face that again this winter if we have a cold winter because already Uh, they seem to be struggling with the cost not a mind an increase in cost I think Mary's call there to us just highlighted what some people in Cork are going through and if you know some of us will say we're lucky enough to be able to afford our home heating oil and to run that particular house, but not all are in that particular situation. Uh, lines are open. 1850-333-103, R&D, text on WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Would you like to work a four-day-a-week? How would a four-day-a-week work or even be implemented? We'll discuss that next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
2: 103 103. And you can text Bernie on 0862103103. Now, uh the primetime program last night, a number of calls in regarding that. First of all, Michael and Castanber says uh, John Paul there is only one answer to last night's primetime programme bring back the hangman for murder life is life and that was to do with the death of Nicholas Maxuini of course so much calls and comments coming in Uh, on that and I get back to those after 11. Uh, People feel enraged that a person who can commit a murder like that can uh, get release uh, and escort a release and go back to the area where they are from but I get back to your calls on that after um, 11 o'clock. Thank you for your text Michael. A lot of people would feel the same and a lot of people which we spoke to yesterday from Sally Hanlon of the Crime Services who deals with those after crime and who have been affected uh, by crime here in Cork Uh, would feel the same that life is life and it shouldn't mean that you get so many years it should mean life and it shouldn't mean that you should be allowed to have an escorted release every so often and come back to the area where you're from anyhow uh, Michael and Castleton thank you for your call now following the success of its world premiere in Cork Asking For It by Cork's own Louise O'Neill returns to the everyman and it's on right through until Saturday the 5th of October we have tickets for this award winning production for Monday the 30th of September at 7.30 if you would like to go just tell us where is Louise O'Neill from call Bernie now callers five, six, seven, eight, and 9 to 1850 3, 3, 3, 3, 1, 0, 3. Uh, where is Louise O'Neill from you can win your way to go and see Asking For it by Louise O'Neill at the Everman it runs until the 5th of October these tickets are for Monday the 30th of September at 7.30 now campaigners are calling for Ireland to join an international drive for a four day a week the four-day-a-week Ireland Group says that there are many benefits to working fewer days. And Joe O'Connor, who's Director of Campaigning at Forsa, joins me. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning. First of all, do you think that this could be a runner without impacting on certain services?
0: We do, yeah. We believe that we should start a gradual, steady, managed transition to a shorter working week for all workers in the public and private sector with no loss of pay, or productivity. And the group that launched our campaign yesterday is a coalition of trade unions, businesses, environmental groups, women's rights organisations, who believe that this really could be something that that is better for everyone. And it's drawing on the international research and the international debate that over the last couple of years has really kicked off around the idea of a four-day week.
2: And would people still be paid for a a five-day-a-week, or would people see a reduction in their wages if they were just to work four?
0: They would, they'd be paid paid the same amount. Essentially, if you take the company in New Zealand, who really are the largest firm in the world, have done this and they spoke at our launch yesterday, their motto is one hundred eighty one hundred and that's about one hundred percent of the productivity. of the pay, and 80% of the time. And really what we're talking about here is changing the narrative from a focus on time spent in the office or time spent at work to a focus on output and a focus on productivity. Because if you look across Europe, some of the most productive countries like the Netherlands, like Denmark, work the shortest hours, and some of the countries who are the least productive, like the UK and Greece, work long hours. There really is no correlation between working longer, and working smarter and working better. And that's really what this campaign is about.
2: Now, when you mentioned the 4-day-a-week and the way it could run, would all professionals be able to do this? For example, if you take doctors or nurses and people who worked on ships or indeed farmers, they simply would say, well, we can't work on a 4-day-a-week. How would it work for them? I and mean, how can every industry get involved in a 4-day-a-week when some will say it's just not practical?
0: So what the campaign is saying is that we need to have a medium-term ambition for a 4 day a week to become the standard work arrangement across the economy. So if you take today, the 5 day a week and the nine-to-five would be defined or would be seen as the standard work arrangement. But of course, it's not the only work arrangement. You have lots of other uh, work situations. So you would, of course, need to have flexibility for different employments, different sectors, different workplaces, and different employees. If you take a company in Wales who have done this, IndieCube, they essentially have introduced a four-day-a-week, but they've allowed some of their staff to work a compressed five-day-a-week with shorter hours over the five days. And that works works for those staff in terms of childcare arrangements and so on. So this is not a one-size-fits-all rigid solution, but we're just saying that the new benchmark should be a four-day week and that we would achieve a shorter working week for all workers.
2: And with this particular 4 day week, if it was to come in, I mean, at the moment we know some companies, as you mentioned there, will have their workers in the office four days and some, uh, the majority actually, there's a lot here in Cork do it, they allow their staff to work from home on a Friday. So they might either choose their Monday to work from home or a Friday to work from home. Now that depends on the industry you're in. If you're in maybe an IT sector whereby you can work from a laptop or computer and access details, then you can do that. Won't work for all. But is there a fear then for some management that they will say we're going to miss deadlines uh, and and miss other opportunities if we don't have the staff we need here on a Friday if other companies are continuing to work or other countries are, are are working on a Friday and our Irish staff are off.
0: Well, when you say working on a Friday, this is not about introducing a three-day weekend for all workers in the economy. We are very, very clear that there will be a need to maintain services, public services or private businesses, over five days, and in some cases over seven days. This requires strong management, it requires clever rostering, and it requires commitment on behalf of staff that in exchange for a four-day week, that they will maintain output, maintain productivity, maintain customer service. So really that isn't up for question. What is up for question is to change this false narrative around that productivity is the same as working long hours and that staying late in the office till 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night is some kind of badge of honour. We need to challenge these excesses that we've seen creep in certain parts of the Irish society around work and instead champion the value of caring work, community work, family time and leisure time. But I think a really important point is the reason why we believe that this is achievable is in the context of the rapid technological change which is coming down the line, this fourth industrial revolution of artificial intelligence, automation. And what we're saying is, is that we need to prepare for that future and we also need to share those benefits with workers. And we believe that, as it has been throughout history, working time is a perfect
2: place to start that conversation. And you mentioned there that the benefits to this. Uh, and one of those, you're right, a lot of people feel that they're, they're running and racing, that work-life balance uh, isn't there. And those that do work long hours feel that if they go into work, let's say they've worked 12 hours or 14 hours on a, on a Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, by Thursday, they're so tired, they know their productivity in work is is isn't what it should be. It's suffering because of the long hours. Uh, do you think a forty a week, w- w- in the end, you know, after let's say it is introduced, you could see staff less stressed uh, and companies, as you mentioned, would be more productive because staff are m- have more energy because they have an extra day.
0: Well, again, all of the evidence in terms of businesses that have done this already, including ICE, who are the largest company in Ireland, they're Galway based. HR recruiting and consultancy firm that have done this, they're reporting that their staff are happier, they're healthier, they're more focused and they're more energized, and they're either maintaining or even increasing their productivity over the four days. So we believe it can be absolutely a good thing for workers, a good thing for business. But it also, a couple of the other massive benefits of this are, first of all, in relation to the climate change crisis, which, Mm. as we all know, is something that we're going to need to seriously grapple with in the years to come, and a massive threat to to civilization as we know it. All of the research that's been done on this suggests that a four-day-a-week would lead to around a 16% reduction in carbon emissions due to cutting back in commuting time, reducing energy use in buildings. So this could have a, a transformative impact in terms of the environment and it could also have a tra- transformative impact in terms of gender equality, in terms of the balance of domestic work and caring work between men and women and women being able to access more senior leadership positions. Again, we think that this is something that can really, really make a huge difference when it comes to gender equality.
2: And the climate- issue is a good one you mentioned because the amount of people that commute longer distances now because they're purchasing their home away from their workplace many in the city so they're moving into outer areas uh, so that would be a big advantage when it comes to that uh, are you fearful with private companies that if this was to go ahead uh, that some would make their staff work a 12 hour a day Monday to Thursday some people would be happier to finish at four o'clock every day and work let's say five days a week and finish at four rather than working 12 hour days and, and have a Friday off because at the moment Moment, there is some companies that do work four days a week because that's just the way they are set up. That's the way their their productivity runs, and they work twelve hour a days. But There's a fear that private companies could implement that, and the public service could be fine, but private might implement that.
0: Well, we don't think that that's what this is about, and we actually don't think that that would work because if what we're saying is that by reducing intensification, by giving people more time outside of the office, outside of work increases their well-being and increases their productivity, then working a 48-hour week over four days is not going to achieve that mm. outcome. This is about going towards a shorter working week because of the productivity benefits and because of the fact that technology, like if you look at over the last 20 or 30 years, John Maynard Keynes at the start of the last century, predicted we'd all be working a 15-hour week, which seems absolutely crazy, but he thought that because He predicted that productivity benefits would mean that we'd get the work done that we needed as a society and allow more time for leisure. Now, he could scarcely have believed what we've seen over the last 20 or 30 years in terms of steps forward in technology and in society. And what we're saying is if we're now entering another period where there's going to be those types of of massive leaps forward, then that that has to be shared with workers. Because if, if, if those productivity benefits are taking place without any reduction in working time, then essentially who benefits there?
2: Yeah, but you know where companies have gone so ruthless? Uh, th- that's what some might implement if if this was to happen. Annual leave, how how would that work then? Would everything stay the same?
0: I think annual leave, holidays and so on will we'll all need to be considered as part of this bigger picture. Really what we're trying to do is just stimulate the debate and the conversation about this. But I think in terms of how this happens, which is a critical question, mm. we see it that there's three ways that this can happen. There's first of all business leadership within the, the private sector and labour market competition, whereby the companies that have done this reporting, you know, they're very attractive places to work. So we think there's a real role for businesses showing strong leadership in this area. Secondly, there's obviously a role for ourselves and trade unions in terms of collective bargaining and having this as one of our big priority uh, areas in terms of negotiations in the years to come. And thirdly, we believe there's a role for government as the largest employer in the state, as a major purchaser in terms of encouraging companies and encouraging this idea and trying to facilitate it. And we think that all of those need to come together. But the, the key thing is I have yet to hear an argument against the four-day week that if you look back through history, you couldn't see that it was made against the five-day week, the eight-hour day and the weekends. That's an unaffordable luxury that will cripple the economy, that it's a pie-in-the-sky pipe dream. But it's strongly our view that in the same way as the trade union movement were centrally involved in winning the weekend, we believe together we can win the four-day week.
2: And is there a name or a timeline, as as we're debating it now at the moment, but is there a name for this and a timeline where this could become a reality?
0: Well, look, we're not talking about a big bang here. We're not talking about government legislating tomorrow for a four-day week across the economy. We don't think that would work. What we're talking about is a gradual, steady and managed transition. We do believe, however, that when you look at the companies today, not in five years, not in ten years, but today, who are doing this, and not just making it work, but making it work extremely well. And when you look at the pace of technological change, which, as we all know, has been incredible in recent years, and we think we're likely to see another decade of incredible progress in that area, we think this is absolutely something that we describe as it's a medium-term goal. It mightn't be a short-term today or tomorrow goal, but we don't think it's a long-term goal either. We think this can be done in the medium term.
2: Well, we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, a lot of people agree, and I we hope for a four-day week. Anyhow, uh, considering what the text we're getting here on this, we'll have to see if everybody is joining up, though, for that company-wise. Uh, thank you, Joe, for discussing that with us this morning. Uh, that is Joe O'Connor, who's director of campaigning at Forza. Uh, Maura, I agree with Joe. Maura says, look back a number of years ago, there was people who were working. The majority of us, anyhow, worked five and a half days a week. We worked half day on a Saturday, and worked Monday through to Friday. That was being spoken about ch- about the changes. that of that in the 70s. Uh, The 70s rolled on and by the 80s the majority of people then started working five days a week. Obviously it depends on the sector you were in uh, but my sector moved from five and a half days to five days a week. So the four day a week is very possible says Maura while Audrey says no I would not like a four day a week as then people would have more time on their hands feels Audrey. While Martin says I think it's a great idea You only heard about those Earlier on this week In your show Who are struggling For work-life balance And to spend time With their children This four days a week would give people Extra time at home With their families to Bring it on uh, Says Martin on text Now well done To our winners Who are going along To see Asking For It By Louise O'Neill It returns to The Everyman And it is there Running right through Until Saturday The 5th of October and we're giving away Tickets for the show On this coming Monday night And we are Ask you where is Louise O'Neill from? where did she grow up well well done the answer was Kilty, and well done to Eileen Collins in Clann also to Sheila O'Leary in Bandon hi to Margaret Crowley in Kinsale Marion Crowley in uh, Garons near Bween and hi to Helen Hayes in Rossmore. all winning your way to go and see Louise O'Neill's Asking For it at the Everyman on this coming uh, Monday night it opens there at 7.30 enjoy that more tickets to give away across the show here between now and 1 o'clock this afternoon Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three lines open, or indeed you can text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. You can send us a message on uh, Facebook, a private message to C one zero three Cork, or tweet at C one zero three Cork. A lot of uh, commentary coming in regarding the four days a week. And also following up on that primetime uh, programme last night, we'll get to those calls and comments. Also, if you have questions for the Minister for Agriculture, because Michael Creed, uh, Minister Creed will join us after 11 o'clock discussing over the last few weeks what's been happening in the beef industry and the beef crisis and the farmers who are picketing at many factories right across the country. And indeed here in Cork, what is the latest scenario with that? And also we'll be discussing Brexit and, well, Brexit, what can happen in Brexit? Anybody at, at this stage, no one knows. But uh, there is an event taking place next Monday in Little Island, and we'll hear about that particular event as well. That and more to come. Good morning to you. Bernie takes your calls and comments 1850 333 103. RD text or WhatsApp 086 2103 103. And just going back to calls into us, uh, first of all, this is on the primetime documentary on RTE last night uh, when we saw and heard from from the family of murdered Cork student, Nicholas Sweeney. And now uh, they were on that particular programme last night, along with uh, Nicholas' friend Sinead O'Leary, who was 19 at the time. Uh, Sinead su- suffered uh, horrific injuries in the particular attack, life-changing injuries for her. And the reason this programme was aired, and we spoke about this on the show yesterday as well, uh, and the concerns for other families is because Peter Whelan was sentenced to life in prison for the murder and 15 years for attempted murder. Uh, they were running consecutively, but concerns were expressed about moves towards a parole in the case, as well as the shock of hearing uh, for, the, for the family that is, of his escorted day releases from prison. And those releases brought him uh, to visits to Cork. Now, I know one of those was for a family funeral, but the others were escorted daily releases the family I'm sure you saw the particular programme if you did watch it last night on uh, Primetime on RT1 uh, very upsetting for the family very upsetting for anybody uh, watching that very upsetting for uh, Nicholas' friends and indeed very brave of Sinead O'Leary to speak out of what happened on that night 17 years ago big reaction this morning on that and indeed on our justice system and a lot of people asking, "What in God's name is going on in our justice system?" Uh, the the comments coming from the Doyle on this, uh, and indeed where do we go from here if this is what is happening within our courts do we need tougher sentences what we discussed yesterday for a various of crimes but then if someone is convicted they go to prison and then this happens I mean what message is that sending out to criminals in this country uh, while well, Joe on text saying I cried at that particular show while watching it last night it could have been any one of us with a child at home in that situation the poor parents my heart goes out to them I could could not stop thinking about them last night while in bed, uh, says Joe, while Michael says our laws are too lenient. We need to toughen up our laws and for once and for all deal with criminals. No wonder we have criminal cartels in this country with our justice system. While Martina says my heart goes out to that particular family, what they went through and what they are going through. And now everything again is being brought up because of this particular situation they find themselves in because of our justice system what are those injustice thinking of uh, says Martina and who is making these decisions uh, says Jerry on text also while Tim says JP we are great people to throw stones I don't condone criminals but they are humans too like us all says Tim on text to 0862103103 following that programme last night our sympathies again Uh, Go out to uh, the 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 Swede family in Rochester. Um, and uh, Nicholas friends and especially Sinead O'Leary very brave to speak out last night on that particular programme and it does as we discussed yesterday open up the debate about sentences in this country and the handling of sentences by our Justice Department you would wonder wouldn't you Uh, you'd have to ask questions when it comes to that anyhow uh, moving on to the four day a week we discussed with Forza earlier on the show Uh, and this is plans that are being spoken about anyhow campaign is underway to get Ireland to work four days a week. Well, a lot of reaction to this. Mags saying I think this plan for four days a week is a great idea as parents work so hard and hardly get to spend time with their children and I think this would benefit everybody mentally and indeed give them quality time says Mags. While Liam says great idea, the amount of people who are stressed and tired from working long hours, I think this extra day will be a benefit to companies. I know myself, when I take holidays and return, I and more productive than the few months before the holidays. I think this four-day a week is great, and hopefully will be implemented. Um, another Liam saying, "Great idea." Not too sure how would it, work. it would work. It will work for the farming community and indeed for hospitals, and that was is something that they will have to look at and how indeed it, it won't suit everybody. Uh, and, and and even Joe from Forza was mentioning that and how it could be worked around. While Jura says companies won't go for four days as they can squeeze sixty hours out of. People People then for five days, uh, says Gerard on text to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And regarding the carbon tax and what is supposed to anyhow be brought into the budget Heidi says and we were discussing this earlier on the fear some people have of the increase in what could be a bag of coal or oil home heating oil or indeed gas Heidi is saying morning JP carbon tax and all the taxes that are here and that have been brought in to find us to pay more but look at France yes I know they had the yellow vests in France but they have won out for their protesting as President Macron in this conversation coming budget has bowed down Heidi says to their particular taxes reducing we'll we'll have to wait and see I suppose what is happening across Europe as well Uh, Heidi thank you for your WhatsApp on that particular issue and on the issue of speed this is something we spoke about earlier on this week uh, concerns by many on the speed people are travelling on minor roads and indeed on main roadways Uh, minor roads which might be 80k uh, we'd callers earlier in the week who felt there was people doing 120k on minor roads and it was dangerous and accidents waiting to happen basically well on that and this has been suggested before but Martin on WhatsApp says with all and so many fatal speeding accidents on roads here in Cork and elsewhere why isn't there a law to modify the speed maximum in cars to either 100k or 120k some cars on the road are designed to do 200k no bother when the maximum speed limit in places is 100k or 120k it's ridiculous the speed on our roads at the moment uh, says Martin on text and of course that follows up from uh, the project Edward which was running yesterday dealing with People who are speeding on our roads. Anyhow, thank you for your text uh, to 0862 103 103, or you can call Bernie 1850 333 on 103 and keep those particular calls coming because the Agricultural Minister, Michael Creed, will be joining us next Next, discussing what we've been discussing for a lot over the last three or four weeks, what's happening in the beef industry regarding pickets that were outside factories, but also discussing Brexit. Uh, that's ahead of event that is taking place next Monday in Little Island. Uh, Michael Creed, uh, Minister for Agriculture, will join us next. And I just want to give a very quick mention, and best of luck, by the way, to everybody in Bandon. The Marvel Marquis is underway from today. See when 3. We are media partners and there's a great lineup there. Tonight, Chasing Abbey are at the Marvel Marquee Tomorrow night, you've got the Furies and then on Sunday night you've got Robert Mazzell. Uh, his guest appearance there is Patrick Feeney and he's supported by local band and band, The Shrugs who we spoke to earlier in the week. It is on in the Bandon GAA grounds. You can get tickets and get more information on BandonBusiness.com and tickets also, if you're in Bandon, you can get them from O'Farrell's or you can contact the Business Association and they will let you know how to get tickets if you're not in the area but you can get more information and bookings on bandonbusiness.com. if you're online you can get them there as well best of luck to all involved a great initiative there in Bandon kicks off tonight the Marvel Marquee at the GAA Grounds in Bandon proudly supported by ourselves here at C103 C103 Jobs on today's job spot, we have opportunities for Costell Ireland. They're recruiting fixed term production operatives for their Mallow plant and warranty technicians for their Abbey Field plant. Email recruit at costell.com by Friday, the fourth of October. A part time child is wanted to mind two children of school age in the children's own home in the New Market area. Contact 086 3389632, And a personal lines administrator is required for a busy insurance brokerage in Bandon. Email your CV to Billy at O'Neill And you'll find these job opportunities and more by going online now to c103.ie.
1: Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment
2: 1850-333-103 The Department of Agriculture Food and Marine are hosting a Brexit seminar entitled Practical Steps to Keep Agri-Food Moving at the and Blue Little Islands next Monday morning. Ahead of that, Minister for Agriculture Food and the Marine, Michael Creed joins me in studio this morning. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning John Paul. And thanks for joining us in studio. First of all before we get into Brexit, we have to talk about what has happened in the last number of weeks with regards to the beef industry especially the last few weeks and the last few days when the picks now have been lifted the farmers have stepped away from the gates of the factories, they feel they have moved, now it's up to the factories to make a decision. What we're hearing here from the beef plant movement, basically farmers want the base price for their beef. Some have agreed some pricing up the country, nothing officially here in Cork. Uh, uh, What's the latest on that from, from your point of view and the agriculture minister, do you think they should negotiate themselves or would you like a general minimum price for farmers for their beef
4: well john paul i mean this is a very um difficult time for the beef sector um and it's uh, characterized by you know significantly uh, lower prices than we've seen for some time i mean base price at about 345 between there and 360 and that's you know significantly below the cost of production so in that sense, it is understandable, the, the kind of storm we've been through and hopefully emerging out the other side. There's many parts to this. Um, we would have acknowledged that this was a difficult issue coming down the tracks in the context of even this time last year, preparing the budget. Uh, we included a €20 million Euro package for the beef environmental efficiency. Uh, earlier this year, in negotiations with the Commission, sank, got sanctioned for €100 million Euro, uh, exceptional aid measure, You know, working at market access for china audits for which took place in fact during the the strike period so backdrop is very difficult one that we were you know aware of and working to ameliorate to the best way possible i've I've spoken in the past about you know the the relationship between the primary producer and the processor not being where it should be in terms of the beef industry and I think what we've seen over the last several weeks i think should turn out to be a watershed moment if there is a real interest on behalf of processors in having a genuine partnership uh, and a long-term future for the sector and i think uh, if you want to say you know is there a positive that comes out of it i would hope that that watershed moment and that the future will be characterized by a much more uh, partnership based approach to the sector you ask about um Prices and, and fixed prices and base prices and how, how we can progress on that. One of the things that we have in the department been trying to progress over the last while is producer organisations. In other words, to get away from the situation where I drive up to the factory this morning with a trailer full of cattle and I have to take the price that's an offer. What would be more advantageous to me as a producer is if I knew in advance that if I produce an animal that the factory wants, that they will pay me a price that I know with some time what that price would be. And therefore, the, the establishment of producer organizations where hundreds, if not thousands of farmers, can come together and control a very significant volume of cattle. And then they can knock on Keypack, ABP, DAWN, Liffey, any processor, and say, listen, we have these animals, this number of those, we can deliver them every Monday morning to you um, within this weight category, whatever, you you know, and negotiate a, a kind of forward selling on the base of a fixed price that's the kind of strength that farmers have lacked up to now and i think that's a really important new initiative we have one up and running one and only just up and running the landscape should be dotted with these. There's you know, room for many, many more producer organisations and that will address one of the issues. It'll give farmers more strength in terms of negotiating price with processors.
2: Would you hope that maybe the existing farm organisations would have done this in the past to have a situation like we have now not happen?
4: Yes, and I mean, we have been out there with over two years now uh, promoting the establishment of and sanctioned, in fact, Uh, a number of people to facilitate the establishment of uh, producer organisations, including the IFA. Um, But look, we are where we are. We have one up and running now. Mm -hmm. It it arose out of the beef plan. They have one up and running. We provide financial support to the establishment of these producer organisations. And the strength of a producer organisation is both in terms of the numbers of farmers that are members and the number of stock that they control. But it's also a strength of them is in terms of the discipline that it brings. You have to stay bound by the producer organization, not be peeled off individually by approaches, by individual factories. And, of course, it's a benefit in terms of the price that you sell for, but it can also deliver for farmers in terms of input costs, in terms of bulk purchasing, et cetera. So this is something, I think, that can contribute significantly. It's not a silver bullet. It won't, uh, you know, uh, overnight change the dynamic but it will give them greater strength and that's that's one of the things which i have encountered over many years, long before I even became the minister, this lack of power, the fact that they were pr- price takers, and I think this is an important step.
2: And because of the base price that farmers want and they still are negotiating for, you agree with overall the fact that base price is what farmers need and a decent base price because we were speaking about bonuses that were agreed and you were at those talks and other issues, even when they were agreed, farmers still weren't happy and they said, we need a base price, that is what we particularly need, we don't want to hear about X, Y, Z, we want the base price and we want a good base price. So you agree with the beef organisations and the factories and indeed the farmers, this is now where we should be going, exclude everything else that's spoken about, get a decent base price, whatever that decent base price is, and then move forward from there?
4: Yes, but I mean, let's be honest about it. Uh, The negotiation of base price is not something that I as the minister can Mm. influence.
2: That and why con- is that? Because a lot of farmers will say you are the minister these are calls coming to us now uh, you are the minister of agriculture you have. You are running that particular department as in you are the head you are the minister why can't you get involved in pricing? Surely uh, some way the state should be able to control what is happening on the ground
4: Well I mean here we are in Mallow headquarters of, of, of Dairy Gold okay? I can't go down to Jim Wolf in Dairy Gold and tell him Jim you must pay 35 cents a litre for milk I can't go to uh, pig processors and say, you must pay, you know, 185 a kilo for pork. Um, I can't go to my park and say, you must pay so much for, for uh, chickens. No more than I can, no, no more than any other minister in any other department can determine, you know, whether it's the Department of Health uh, who, who are purchasing drugs, say, listen, we'll only pay. The market is the market. What the department can do is when the market malfunctions and doesn't deliver, the department can step in in terms of income support, but we can't fix price. Now, if we could fix price, I mean, for example, I mean, the ask uh, that was generated in many areas on the picket line was, you know, €4, €4.50 a kilo. Um, If, say, for example, I had that authority and I said, okay, we'll fix the price at €4.50, and the processors will say, well, listen, uh, the market is returning €3.50 at the moment. We won't buy uh, I mean that you know putting the minister in that position when the market is you know you can't you can't in many ways book the market but you can deliver income supports for farmers and that's what the department has been trying to do as well as negotiating bonuses which incentivise farmers to produce a spec that the factory wants and to make sure now for example that I think it's 70% of cattle slaughtered now will be eligible for bonus payments. That's the area where we can have influence but not on the base price. Would
2: you be restrained by competition laws then I presume as well Well, as would everybody else, other ministers because it could be seen that you may and not you but just past stories that that others might be influential and that you could cause the price to go up or down because of connections. Is that one of the reasons why we have those competition price laws in place?
4: Yes and and I, I, I do understand the 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 strength of feeling for from farmers towards the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission and when you mentioned competition law you know it, it kind of provokes farmers but that is the reality I mean we can't get involved in price fixing I mean if you look at another area for example where there is talk about minimum unit pricing for example is in the alcohol sector mm, yeah. the purpose of that is to drive down consumption now in a way be careful what you might wish for in terms of giving a minister because like if you have a, a power to fix a price and the pressure will be obviously to fix the price it may well collapse the
2: market. Um, it could go the other way than going, so, than I, going like, up.
4: I think the function here of the department and, and mine is to where the market doesn't function to deliver income support. So in 2019 we will deliver 120 million euros extra of payments directly to beef farmers.
2: And speaking and staying on beef and the picket lines that were there and it's a question I was going to ask you I mean do you regret that even though you did meet the protesters after an initial period do you regret you came out so late in doing that because John and Dumanow is a farmer and we got a lot of these calls when this was underway in Bandon and in Charnival and in Watergrass Hill so why did Minister Creed not come out to the people who elected him at the gates of the meat factory in Bandon all they wanted was for him to listen to their concerns even the Healy Rays came from Kerry uh, to the talk with farmers along with other local politicians so why did Michael not come to the gates of the factories?
4: Well, I mean two reasons. Uh, one, uh, there was a point in 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 the protests where they became illegal, and it wouldn't be appropriate for me to attend a, an illegal protest in a blockade. But I think more importantly, I was involved in trying to broker an agreement between two parties, and if I you know was going to that arrangement with you know a perception on one or the other side of of bias the capacity to engineer a solution would would recede significantly. I did meet with the protesters in Bandon. I met with them in my constituency office. I met with protesters from West Clare in my constituency office. I met protesters from Kildare Chilling in my office in Dublin. I met protesters from the southeast on a a visit to Carlow for the launch of the plowing championship. I had, through an extensive network of my own party colleagues and indeed people from all political parties and those of no political party, outreach into every picket line now bear in mind this was a really fractured endeavor in terms of seven different farm organizations it was a really difficult uh, job to to cohere uh, a single objective out of out of all of the individual picket lines and indeed individual farmers within picket lines because I mean we had situations where one shift on a picket and bear in mind these were 24 hour pickets one shift on a picket line had a particular ask and another shift had a different view so therein was the challenge that I faced but I did uh, meet with uh, people from the abandoned picket line I did meet with people from many uh, picket lines as I said Kildare, Chilling the the key pack facility But do you feel you could
2: have met them sooner because some would say at least at this stage the pickets were underway two or three weeks at the first week maybe wasn't as big in news media but they were underway could you have met them before it got out of hand Some feel that the anger was there, that it got out of hand because they weren't hearing from the government.
3: Um,
4: I I think in in, in things like this, uh, there are things which are communicated through the media and there are things which go on behind the scenes. And I would say from from this time last year, we were acutely aware of the difficulties in the beef market. From earlier this year, in the context of the negotiations at Brussels for a €100 million Euro package, we were aware of it. From organising the Chinese visit, we were aware of it. Um, so we were acutely aware. When when it blew up uh, in terms of protests and pickets, we were also aware. But there were things which were happening behind the scenes in terms of trying to engage in dialogue with all the different parties. And bear in mind, as I said, you had the meat industry on one side, you had individual plants within MII, uh, you know, and you had seven, at least, different farm organisations. There was stuff going on behind the scenes and there was stuff that was communicated uh, publicly. Um, I regret that it took so long to get a successful outcome, but that was not reflective on any lack of recognition of the scale of the challenge that was there or indeed lack of engagement with all of the parties to the dispute.
2: You mentioned there the Chinese delegation that were visiting the particular factories. Uh, While cattle are now re-entering factories, did this particular dispute, did this damage... Ireland's reputation abroad? Well, look, we
4: export 90% of what we produce. So um, we live in a global village. You know, the signals go out very quickly because there are competitors who want to knock us off or perch on supermarket shelves anywhere from, from Birmingham to Beijing. Um, so um, w- we did, and I, I appreciate the goodwill that was shown at individual picket lines, we did get the Chinese audit through. Um, I was extremely concerned during that process on the one hand, trying to manage that uh, and to deal with the bigger picture in terms of bringing the, the, the debate to a, uh, or the, the difficulty to a conclusion. We did manage the Chinese audit. I was extremely concerned the longer it went on, the potential that this had to, to damage our position in the marketplace. I mean, there is unfortunately, and this is one of the problems in the marketplace at the moment, there's an awful lot more beef out there than has previously been the case. And it's very easy for, for retailers to source beef elsewhere. And that was one of the real concerns the longer it went on done for us in terms of our international reputation as a reliable trading partner.
2: You speak there about international trading partners. I just see that in Wales, there's actually a protest going on in Hollyhead uh, and that's going on again this week. They're not happy because of Irish beef subsidised being brought into Wales. Is that something we're going to f- face in the future from other departments? I mean, this is just Wales nearby. Uh, would that be something we could see elsewhere?
4: well it's ironic I was reading something on social media by one of the more vocal contributors uh, you know who was welcoming this as a kind of a a spillover from the Irish beef protest I mean unfortunately this will has the potential to be a a very significant uh, problem for us Um, and leave Brexit aside Mm. we have access to the UK market now it's 300,000 tonnes over 50% of our total exports of beef go into the UK and if you know the template that was developed to blockade the industry here is used elsewhere against us, then we have a really difficult uh, scenario here in terms of accessing the UK market. Some of that concern, and it's, you know there are meetings in Northern Ireland as well about the difficulties that they have, is because they're saying, we got 100 million of EU and Exchequer support that they didn't get. Um, and in that sense, we're, you know, the market globally is very difficult and the market in Europe is very difficult. Um, But this kind of action really has the potential to be very damaging to us.
2: And just finally on beef, and we'll we'll touch on Brexit in a while, but just on the beef situation, a number of texts are coming in on this. First of all, the text are saying when the payments come in the posts, and that's everything is factored in. What are the farmers really getting per kilo? This is never mentioned. This is something that needs to be discussed and opened up as well. Would you agree with the, that side of things? That okay, you you get the base price, I presume, but there's a lot of people not happy with the kilo. Now that was agreed, though, wasn't it in the in the bonus structure for at the talks about about the uh, the. Kilo. The eight cent per bonus uh, per, per kilo, wasn't yeah, I mean, it? There, that there, was included. There
4: are a range of different bonus payments and, mm. and they will see, you know, a, a significant increase in the in the number of cattle that are slaughtered eligible for a bonus. But I mean, your listener makes a, a, an interesting observation. The market delivers a certain amount and some of the payments that are, you know, delivered to farmers in other envelopes, whether it is basic payment, ANC payments, you know, the beef data and genomic schemes, um, you know a range of other supports. They're there to support farmers when the income do, when the the market doesn't function. But they're also there for public goods that farmers deliver also in terms of landscape management, biodiversity, water quality, etc. So we're in the process now of negotiating a new Common Agricultural Policy, and certainly the direction of travel with that Common Agricultural Policy will be, you know, to support farmers uh, in a in a way that promotes. More aggressively, perhaps, uh, sustainable agricultural practices.
2: And on the issue of cattle prices, Michael says, "Can you ask Minister Creed about the appalling prices in March for younger cattle? There is no support for these farmers. Incomes have fallen hugely." asks uh, Michael. I,
4: I am aware um, of, of the difficulty in the in the marketplace at the moment. Though it is uh, somewhat offset by activity uh, at the moment for uh, by buyers for live exports. Um, there is activity in the ringside f- for that, and that's very welcome. The figures for live exports at the moment um are about quarter of a million head of cattle uh exported already this year um substantial number of those will be and bull calves, about hundred and ninety thousand It's up uh about twenty five percent year on year It's a very significant uh safety valve for the market here and one that we're very anxious to to promote and pursue. But I would say in terms of, you know, specific categories of cattle, and, and, and I'm aware in particular of, you know, the, the, the problem that's raised by your listener, there is an advantage, you know, in, in terms of all of the supports that are delivered and indeed live exports, which lifts, in a way, the, the market for, for all cattle, um, even though, the, say, for example, live exports would be buying in particular forward stores, uh, winning bulls, uh, in, you know, in particular would be what's in demand there
2: and the four move rule that was included there when the beef talks were in place that this didn't change this still remains and, and this is the movement of cattle and some farmers were hoping that this would have changed in the particular talks
4: well look there were a number of issues around that four movements the 70 day residency um, and, and it, was, it was not possible to get agreement on everything on the four movement rule it is important to point out that 98% of all cattle are compliant with the four movement rule so it's not the big issue but what we did say was apart from delivering in the talks the bonus payments we also have agreed to set up a beef market task force and that will be up and running shortly and it will look at these issues and we will commission uh, reports into those issues to see are they measures that are used by the industry as anti-competitive to facilitate a downward pressure on prices or are they as the industry would would say they're a response to retail specifications. Um, and and, you know, let's see where 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 the dice falls on those things. It wasn't possible to have an agreement on those, but there was an agreement that we would revisit those in the context of the Beef Market Task Force.
2: So it could be l- re- looked at in the future? It will be. OK. Uh, Catherine on email wants to ask you, Minister, does the Department of Agriculture have an action plan to engage with the beef and dairy sectors to reduce carbon emissions? Now this is something we've spoken about a lot over the week on the show on uh, climate action and climate change uh, and it comes a lot from what's happened in New York this week at that particular summit but what role does he see uh, in the future for those particular sectors and also for the forestry sectors and while I'm on forestry, uh, Another person is asking, will that be the way forward for rural areas to get farmers into basically setting trees?
4: Well, the simple answer is yes, we do have. Uh, The government has published a a whole of government climate action plan. And within that, there are specific uh, asks of the agricultural sector, pretty onerous ones. Um, And the imperative, uh, you know, to act in this area is, in my view, it's because... The moral argument, you know, we need to pass on the planet in a better shape than it is now. And climate change is the single biggest existential threat facing the planet. We need to act because there are, you know, onerous financial obligations um, if we don't in terms of the Paris Accord. But also we need to act because as a country that exports to over 180 different countries, beef, dairy, all commodities to 180 different countries, the retailer is saying, what is your carbon footprint? What efforts are you make to, making to reduce it? What are you doing about your antimicrobial resistance? What are you doing about animal welfare? So we need to be in the vanguard of all of those endeavours and yes we have specific um, you know roadmap for the agricultural sector in terms of driving down its carbon footprint. In, in a way it's a three-legged stool. It's for every kilo we produce of dairy or every litre of milk or every pound of butter or every uh, you know tonne of wheat that we produce we must produce that in the most carbon efficient way possible we must then on the other side alluding to the reference to forestry we must sequester as much uh, greenhouse gases as we possibly can because producing food the inevitable consequence of producing food is that you do produce greenhouse gases so on the other side of the balance sheet we must sequester as much carbon as we possibly can, now that involves forestry and I've made this point ad nauseum we cannot expect here we are in the golden Vale. We cannot expect, you know, the west of Ireland to carry the can for all of the country in terms of forestry. Yeah, every, because how
2: do you find the right balance for that?
4: Well, every farmer, I believe, um, could grow some forestry. Um, and, and I think it's finding, you know, the proper incentive structure. I referenced earlier the fact that we are negotiating the common agricultural policy now. And I think, you know, therein will be an opportunity to develop the toolbox to enable us to drive that agenda forward because we are slipping in terms of our afforestation targets. So being as efficient as we possibly can, sequestering as much as we can, and the third leg of the stool then is displacing non-renewable energy sources. So things like, for example, the initiatives that we recently announced under the targeted agricultural measures, the Thames grant for solar panels, the bioeconomy, anaerobic digestion, all of those things which are very much in their infancy here as uh, technologies I think we can make big progress there as well
2: And briefly a lot of people are asking about a deal which is going on in Europe at the moment Stephen in Mill Street feels that this particular deal that he says Phil Hogan is involved in anyhow is destroying rainforests in some part of our country so would you agree with what you're doing here planting more trees or what he feels is happening in other countries destroying the rainforests? Well I think you might be
4: talking about Mercosur uh, the trade agreement and in fact wh- what what is very clear and what the government has stated and what's very clear from even engagement which I've had as late as this week with other uh, agricultural ministers across Europe, is except there is a, a clear legal sign up by the Mercosur countries, in particular Brazil, to the terms and conditions of the of the uh,
2: Paris climate change accord, there won't be a Mercosur trade agreement. So there's no need to worry you're saying for people who are concerned that the the agreement won't go ahead?
4: No, what I'm saying is except these countries can clearly demonstrate that they are committed to the Paris Climate Change Uh Agreement uh, except they can
2: show that you know, they're willing to they, take part in that. To, to, yeah, if not, it won't go ahead. Exactly. Okay. Uh, regarding, very funny on this, I want to move to Brexit, but just regarding, and you've seen this, I'm sure you've travelled from McCroom this morning to Mallow, not too sure what road you took, but there's a lot of wind farms, a lot of developments in, in that particular part of Cork. And Dan wants to know, what's your view, what Dan feels is the destruction of rural areas in Cork by wind farm and battery storage compounds developments? Dan isn't happy at that. He feels they're destroying the, the the rural landscape.
4: Well, look, we have to find the balance here. Um, you know, we cannot continue uh, to rely on non-renewable fossil fuel sources indefinitely into the future. We have natural advantages here in terms of uh, renewable energy, particularly wind. Um, I would say to Dan, you look at what happened uh, last week when Children all over the world came out and protested and they said that we are compromising their future. So they're my children and my children's children. We are we are using their share of resources and and damaging the climate for future generations. So part of the response has to be less dependence on fossil fuels. And the only way you can do that is through renewable energy sources. So they're solar and they are wind farms. Uh, otherwise, uh, we're on a hiding to nothing.
2: Would you rather more than be out in the sea and and have the coastal ones? Certainly, I think there's yeah. huge
4: potential in the offshore. But look, I mean, I'm aware also. You know, if you're looking off the Kish Bank in 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 in, in Arklow and and nobody wants wind farms out there. There's a movement in Dunleary in Dublin. They don't want wind wind farms off there because. So whether it's on top of a hill near me or whether it's off the coastline. You know, these are always difficult debates, mm. but we have to have more energy. We have to have more solar panels and we have to have more renewable energy sources.
2: OK, everything we've spoken about is going to be affected by Brexit. And there's an event taking place on Monday in the Rallis and Blue and Little Islands. And you're asking for people to come along to this because it will affect a number of people involved in agri-food and in the likes of animals, plants, fish and everything we've spoken about who could be affected by this at the moment. Brexit, we don't really know what's going to happen here. Uh, The Parliament was suspended. It's back again because that was found to be unlawful. Boris Johnson is back. Some say he's not taken it seriously enough. Do you think another extension at this stage is likely or will the EU just let the UK crash out?
4: Well, if the UK crashes out, it won't be because the EU left them crash out. They will crash out because it's a specific policy decision by the UK now to put it in context I mean for us and and the the event in uh, Little Island on Monday we export nearly 40% of our ag food offering I'm only dealing now with the ag food side 5.2 billion euros worth of our ag food offering goes to the United Kingdom market and in the context of Brexit what I want to make sure is that as much of that business as is possible continues to be done Uh, in a post Brexit scenario now we obviously hope that that will be a withdrawal agreement a transition period and a negotiation of a future trading arrangement but it could well be that come the 31st of October the UK will crash out and if they crash out what it means is the UK will be a third country and all of the necessary arrangements uh, to trade with third countries will have to be in place by companies that now trade with the UK on a seamless single market basis and that's what de- these events are all about, and we have the you know it's it's important to make the point that we have no benchmark of a previous Brexit against which to measure mm. our preparations, and I have no doubt if they were to crash out that there will be problems um but we need to make sure that we are prepared as best we can. And I think we have put an enormous amount of effort and so have business put in an enormous amount of effort to making that the case. And what this event is about is trying to make sure that we create a heightened level of awareness, that we go from awareness to actions, that people take the steps to register with my department, with revenue, to make sure that they can continue to trade. But bear in mind, even in its most benign form, Brexit is damage limitation in a crash out, it's a very, very different scenario and it will cause I mean, there are people who say for example, in the aforementioned beef debate that we're dealing with Brexit already that is to significantly under appreciate what Brexit, a hard Brexit would mean uh, for us Um, it would be, you know very, very difficult and it obviously is part of you know our budget consideration now you know the fact that this is now much more likely than it ever has been mm-hmm. and who knows what'll happen in the uk i've nearly given up myself watching the the minutiae of manoeuvrings in 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 the house of commons what's important though is that we concentrate on the things that we control ourselves and that we increase our level of awareness i've no doubt you know the big food companies are ready what I'm more concerned about is the SME sector and in particular the S, the small sector.
2: Yeah, and, and we're getting a lot of when we were in your own hometown of Macroom last week, the big question that came up and it's coming in here this morning is and it might be it seeming like a simple question, but it's the fact that if we are exporting to other parts of Europe and other countries and it's going on a ship leaving Ireland How do we get it to Europe? Is it a case now that ships and will go elsewhere? They'll take a different route. They can't go into UK waters. It's the simple things like this Mm. are worrying people. And also the border, if we do have a hard border following whatever happens after the thirty-first of October, the movement back and forth, the delays at the border with uh, a particular checks, that will affect what goes on the shelf and that will affect fresh produce, which at the moment is just driving back and forth. Is those simple, small things are, are the concerns we heard from people over the last few weeks.
4: Well, they're neither simple nor small things, unfortunately. But you don't hear them
2: mentioned a lot. I mean, you hear the big words being, oh. being, being thrown out, but you don't hear this I spoken mean, about a lot. These, I mean, these
4: are um, the critical issues. I mean, accessing the rest of the European Union market is so important for us because, okay, we will lose the UK market, the terms under which we currently trade with it. But we do access uh, a lot of the rest of the European Union via the United Kingdom land bridge. And we've been putting in a lot of effort into negotiations, say, with the French, the Belgians, the Dutch and the Danes, because, you know, whether it's from uh, Dover to Calais or other uh, points of disembarkation in the UK to other ports in, in, in mainland Europe, that represents, you know, a very significant volume of the rest of our agricultural trading with the, with the European Union. And whereas we would be satisfied that we will be facilitated on the the EU land side of of, of, of the English Channel, I am worried about. The UK's level of preparations, which could see us caught up in tailbacks on, on, on leading into Dover, etc., and, mm. and problems that that would give rise. So consequently, as well, there's been a lot of talk about switching ferry capacity that would go perhaps direct from rosslare or Cork to those ports in, in mainland European Union. And I'm satisfied that that facility is there should the UK land bridge not work. The second aspect of what you spoke about was the north-south side. And that's, you know, particularly uh, difficult to resolve. We have to be, on the one hand, conscious of our obligations to make sure that the border between the North and the Republic doesn't become the backdoor for substandard produce coming into the single market after the UK leaves. So, for example, the UK could be importing beef from South America or hormone-treated beef or chlorine-washed chicken from the States. And that could come in to the UK down through the Irish uh, border and into mainland European markets. Europe won't stand for that. So we have an obligation to protect the integrity of the single market to make sure our border isn't porous. We also have the competing imperative that we don't undermine the Good Friday Agreement. And we are in detail, and my department is in detailed negotiations with the Commission on this issue. Um, It's complex. The Commission equally understands the imperative, the twin imperatives of protecting the single market and protecting... Uh, the good friday agreement there won't be a hard border infrastructure if the uk crashes out but bear this in mind if the uk crashes out and it comes knocking on our door to talk about a future trading relationship the first thing they will have to deal with is the irish border is the financial settlement uh, is citizens rights there's no getting away from these issues so they may think by crashing out that they avoid all those there'll be no trade agreement until these matters are resolved.
2: And do you feel watching what's happening in the UK and it's been said to us a, a a, a lot over the last while it's like they are stuck back in time with this Brexit. That they're back in the Empire side of things. From a minister here in this country, and knowing what has happened over the last uh, number of years, the history between both of us. Do you think that that they're that they're stuck back? The government, the current leaders there now, that they are stuck back in a different time zone, and they still think that the UK is in this Empire, and they forget all the rules and regulations that they signed up to when they joined the EU.
4: Well, look. Um First of all, the UK is not a homogenous uh, entity. I mean, there are many different views. And even in the in in the House of Parliament, in the House of Commons, there are many different views. And in fact, a majority view against leaving the European Union at mm. all. Um, so I'm not going to get into name calling uh, or, or 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 that, but it's a very complex political dynamic. It is clear that there is um, serious fractures politically within parties and within broader society now in the UK and I think that's perhaps um, the reason why many previous Prime Ministers up to David Cameron decided that this was not an issue that really should be revisited um, but we are where we are Um okay, and we are over we're it and it's important that we maintain a close relationship with the United Kingdom which we are intent on doing but we have to in a mature way find a way forward through this morass.
2: If people want more information that particular cinema is going ahead in the Radisson Blue Hotel Little Island there'll be people there from state bodies and the information what we spoke about there will be in detail at that particular event and you can get details at Eventbrite if you wish to go along to that particular event it is the Brexit seminar entitled Practical Steps to Keep Agri Trade Moving and it's going ahead in the Radisson Blue Hotel Little Island It's you just need to register it's free but it's on this Monday from 9.30 a very finally there's a lot of talk about the disease at the moment in rabbits and hares. a number of people asking for your reaction on that briefly as we are running over time
4: well it's really problematic um and i know uh, there's a lot of engagement between the parks and wildlife service my own department and the department of arts heritage and the gail took on the issue um it's i and i appreciate there's an interest out there from from uh, greyhound sector and the coursing sector um but this is a very difficult issue to manage, um, and it's under constant supervision. I know there was a, a meeting with the coursing club and
1: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
3: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health
4: that have happened earlier this week we continue
2: to monitor it. Okay, Michael, thank you for joining us uh, this morning in studio. That is Minister for Agriculture, Michael Crete. C103 and a lot of calls and comments in following uh, our discussion with the Minister for Agriculture who joined us in the studio, Michael Crete, on a various number of topics that he spoke to us on. First of all, can I say hi to Tom in Yall? Tom did ring uh, regarding the TAMS grant approval for people who want to buy slurry tanks. He says there is only a fraction of the money being spent. He's waiting for the grant since July Tom, we have put that details to um, the, the minister and they're looking into that for you and they will look into what is happening with that particular, um, in, in general, just the overall uh, grant approval with TAMS as uh, so we did raise that particular point off here. Uh, just on the issue, though, that people were raising regarding planting trees and the fact that some feel uh, that in rural areas now there's a move away from the uh, traditional farm of dairy and a lot more farmers now are moving to planting trees. Uh, but some feel they can't plant trees on that uh, a protector here is saying my brother cannot plant trees on his farm even as the minister is discussing the alternatives and how we should get around the carbon climate situation at the moment well with this particular situation we cannot plant trees, either can my brother, due to this hen harrier that was always there. What is the government going to do about this, is that particular texter. Well, Dan says, uh, regarding wind farms, we did ask the question about wind farms uh, going up in many parts of rural areas. Dan felt they were destroying the landscape and he's asking, would Minister Creed be happy with a wind farm plonked beside his own house? Be straight and honest. Would he be happy? That is all we're looking for, asks Dan. While Sandy on the beef base price we spoke about Sandy says I cannot see why negotiating a beef base price is not legal when farmers buy animal feed and fertilisers he is told it's priced per ton when you're buying electricity you are told it's priced per unit Uh, when vets treat your animals it's priced per animal or per dosage unit if you're building it's priced per square metre based on the price of a ton of cement and the cost of labour unit which is based on paying more than a minimum pay or base pay per hour for labour so why is is base price for beef illegal, asks Sandy. She still can't understand why that is the particular case. Well, now the farm organisations can discuss that and are agreeing with the factories on the base price for beef. We'll have to wait and see what is agreed regarding that. And Heidi saying, JP, when you listen to these ministers and TDs, you really get to know know those that are willing to stick their necks out to get what people want to make lives better guys like the great Michael Collins of 1916 who worked for what was right and the only one really that Heidi feels is working hard is Deputy Michael Collins because of dealing with people and getting people's sight problems sorted out by bringing those up to Belfast and back again. Regarding Minister Creed I did email the Minister on cruelty to pets with all animals but Heidi feels not a lot has happened since uh, to deal with that particular their situation especially when it comes to laws in this country says Heidi on text to 86 103 103 and we spoke earlier about the four day a week a mixed views actually on the four day a week some people feel it just simply won't work others feel it's a great idea because many can spend time with their families having the day off but the big fear is from private companies a lot of people came back to us saying private companies will make sure they get their staff to work on the four days and they'll have people working twice 12 hour shifts to make up for the Friday off. And other suggestions coming in were uh, people that are currently doing 45 to 60 hour weeks, the companies won't be able to squeeze that out of them anymore uh, if this four day a week comes in. Well, uh, from the four days a week uh, to everything we've spoken about across the week regarding work life balance, uh, WhatsApp right here is saying, So, listening to the four days a week, and now we hear everything coming in with carbon tax and uh, the climate change discussion and more tax maybe in the budget for us workers. Where is Leo Vraker's promise to the people who get up in the morning to do a day's work? Sadly, all they're doing to crucify people with hidden and blatant taxes That that all he is doing? Uh, their answer to any problem is tax their way out of it disgraceful and all the politicians they're all the same says this Whatsapper just out for themselves and fine hefty pay packets says that particular Whatsapper on 0862 103, 103 and we mentioned um, earlier on the week when we are mentioning about the fuel allowance And again today When I was discussing uh, The fuel allowance With St Vincent de Paul uh, Many feel that More is needed to be done When it comes to The fuel allowance In this country Well uh, On that uh, A lot of texts And actually Is the fuel All being paid out today Many thanks Is a texter Well I can tell you The fuel allowance uh, For the new fuel season It will begin payment On the 30th of September So that's Monday So it's Monday It's when The fuel allowance Will be paid out For that person on time to 0862 103 103 or call Bernie with your comments this afternoon you can do that to 1850 333 103 or indeed you can email jp at c103.ie now following the success of its world premiere in Cork Asking For It by Cork's own Louise O'Neill returns to the everyman it's running right through until Saturday the 5th of October and we have more tickets to give away for this award winning production but it's for this particular Monday at 7.30 so if you're free on Monday Day to go along to the Everyman and see this particular world premiere which of course was initially starting in Cork and it's back in the Everyman Asking For It by Cork's Louise O'Neill if you're free to go along Sunday If you know the answer to this question be caller 10, 11, 12, 13 and 15 now to 1850 with the answer to this What street is the Everyman located on in the city? Any idea? Do you know this? What street is the everyman located on in the city? If you think you know, you can tech you can call Bernie now. Call Bernie eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three 103 and with the answer to that, call us 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. We'll win those tickets for this Monday uh, for Asking for It by Louise O'Neill at the Everyman.
1: The C103 Cork Diary.
2: With Cork County Council, supporting businesses,
0: supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
2: The Cork Volunteer Centre They will have a pop-up centre In Clonakilty Resource Centre And that is going ahead this morning And if you are interested In a volunteering role You can drop in with them And chat to one of their placement officers Carrick Navarre Community Council They are holding a series Of entertainment evenings In the village An age of Carrick Navarre Whole Development Fund The September concert Takes place this evening With Sean O'Shea Along with local talent Tickets are €15 Euros, And they are available From Juman Shop In Carrick Navarre Raffle prizes on the night also and the show there starts at 8 30 this evening. St. Coleman's Cathedral in Cove, they're hosting the upcoming National Flower Festival, and it's taking place from today until Sunday. It's the Association of Irish Flower Artists in aid of Peta House. And Johnny Bongos and Friends, they will give a lunchtime Trad for Chocra performance in the gallery bar and restaurant in Mallow. That's happening today from 1 to 2. And if you miss that, well he'll be back again in the gallery tonight from 10.30. And Ballinahasseh Community Development will hold a fundraising Lee in the Marion Hall. That's going ahead this evening from 9.45. Music by Tim, Joe and Dan. And dancing also on the night with tea served. And to celebrate the bicentenary of St. Mary's Church in Bering's, there will be a mass going ahead this evening at 7.30 followed by a reception in Bering School Hall. And the fourth-year anniversary of Balladay Hub Community Hall will be celebrated with the official opening of the new extension on this coming Friday for the George O Mahoney will cut the ribbon at 7 o'clock this evening and this will be followed by complimentary finger food and entertainment to late with the two mics and all are welcome and League community bingo that's going ahead tonight at 8.45 in the community hall in League. and this week's jackpot is 2,040 euros and Clyde Rovers GA they're holding their weekly lotto draw in Derry Murphy's bar that's on tonight the jackpot is 2,250 euros
1: Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment.
2: 1850 333 103. And we're still receiving a lot of calls on the primetime programme last night, but in particular to how we deal with sentencing in this country. And are we strict enough when it comes to uh, justice and laws and that type of thing in this country? When you see what examples we got yesterday, and this was coming in uh, when we spoke to Sally Hanlon, and she's involved in looking after people who are after suffering crime in this country and who are victims of crime and who go through uh, the awful aftermath of being a victim of crime and if they are going to court many of the time when they go to court and they're in a courthouse uh, what Sally and others notice are the people that are being brought up before the court have been there a few months beforehand they may have been in jail already they're out after a few months and they look at the whole justice system as kind of a joke and it just opened up are we strict enough when it comes to the sentencing of uh, individuals and criminals in this country and then we also spoke about situation uh, on what has come out in primetime last night and that poor family uh, of Nicholas Sweeney, who was murdered in 2002 when her brave friend Sinead O'Leary came out and spoke about the horrific attack to her and what happened on that night. And the reason uh, there's so much anger out there this morning to the justice system and indeed on how... We deal with licensing and life sentences in this country is because Peter Whelan who was sentenced to life in prison for Nicholas murder for 15 years and then for attempted murder to run consecutively concerns were expressed about moves towards a parole in the case um, because the family were shocked of hearing his escorted day release from prisons and those releases were involving visits to Cork. One of those was for bereavement which even the family understood but the others as you would imagine they're not happy with as are the majority of quarters. People have mixed views on what to do and how should we deal uh, with those sentences and if life does mean life and the majority of callers are saying that life means life. Uh, John going on text, well life should mean life. Why do we let people out after 14 years, after 25 years for good behaviour in prison? That should not be allowed. If someone is behaving well in prison, so be it. I'm delighted for them. Uh, but they caused wreck when they were in the real world. No, life should mean life. Um am thing. I was disgusted to hear uh, what is happening uh, to that particular sentence, after that man murders murdered that beautiful young girl uh, a number of years ago that young girl Nicola, Nicola Sweeney and to think of her friend speaking out bravely because of what is happening with his sentence, I felt so f- sorry for her mother," says Magella. While Patrick in Bandon says that those type of people should get a lethal injection straight away. They have no place in society, and they cost the taxpayer a fortune to keep them in luxury," uh, says Patrick in relation to the whole uh, idea of sentencing and people who do wrong, like murder, and don't carry out the full sentence and basically life meaning life and it really means it can can mean a number of years but it doesn't mean life as we have known and a lot of people are arguing that this morning on text Well, Margaret in Crookstone says prime time was very sad to see last night but the family of that man who committed the crime must be feeling awful we should keep them in our prayers as well says Margaret in Crookstone some of your comments regarding that particular uh, programme last night and on farming and farms uh, Eric is a farmer in East Cork he says I grow vegetables there are no support for the horticultural industry. The beef and dairy farmers get single farm, area aid reps, all of this but we don't get that in our industry. The minister needs to change this to make it a level playing field and Joe and Mallow, this is to do with dog fouling. completely different topic uh, and Joe uh, is at the graveyard in St. Gobnitz in Mallow at the moment and he says a lady has come in with three dogs and has let them run around the graveyard. Now Joe spoke to that lady and asked her to keep them on a leash. He said dogs are not allowed in that graveyard but the lady did not pick up after them either. Uh, Joe has family members buried there in the graveyard and he is very uh, upset because he feels that this is very disrespectful uh, to what has happened there this morning at the graveyard. I presume when you mean she did not pick up is that Some one of the dogs fouled in the graveyard and majority of graveyards have signs up where they say no dogs allowed and if there is a dog allowed they will say the dog will have to be kept in a leash and obviously enough you must pick up your dog's dirt if the dog does dirt in the graveyard anyhow uh, Joe very upset he just feels it's disrespectful to him who was family members in that graveyard but also upset that someone would do this and would be allowed to go in and do this in any graveyard, Joe. Thank you for your call on that. Uh, to eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, and you can text oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And a lot of still a lot of people coming in regarding the issue of sentencing. Uh, for example, it's a WhatsApper here saying life should be life for first degree murder. Um, obviously, some people are are born maybe. As a psychopath or a sociopath, I wonder if they have been psychologically assessed and if they have done that to this particular person to make sure if he is still a threat to society on text. I want to bring you the winners, though, of our competition. This is Asking For It by Cork's own Louise O'Neill. It's in the Everyman until next Saturday, the 5th of October. We had tickets to give away for Monday's show. We asked you, what street is the Everyman located on in the city? And you gave us the correct answer. The street is is of course McCurtain Street well done McCurtain Street being the answer and well done to Mary Jolly in Ovens hi to Mary Birch in Yall Anna Riley in Whitechurch Maura Roach in Bantier and Katrina O'Driscoll in Ovens you're all heading off to that particular show Asking for it by Louise O'Neill In the Everyman You're going there On Monday night It starts at 7.30 And it runs at the Everyman Until the 5th of October If you want more information Go to their website Everymancork.com And on WhatsApp And on text I've got a few people Asking the same question And uh, this is the the, the bulk of it Saying Hi I just want to ask you About a phone call That I keep getting From time to time I don't know If it's a scam or not Uh, The number The texter And Whatsapper Have given us is uh, a UK number 0044 and the code is 190 but there's no name only an address when I look for the number and it's in Worthing in England anybody else getting the same calls and WhatsApp are saying the same thing but saying these callers whoever they are aren't leaving a voicemail which is making me suspicious because if it was someone in the UK or something I bought online that was meant uh, to be delivered or was delayed which I am not but if it was they would always leave a message. So what is happening with these phone calls? Anybody else getting them? Well, I have two people who got them already and I have done a search with this uh, and it is, you're right, it is a UK number coming from the UK. It is a world thing uh, postcode in the UK as well. And that particular number you uh, have texted into us, uh, there is a few various numbers coming in though um, of that particular number, but one of them that has been texted into us has been reported in the UK for harassment calls. Now, I don't know what type. Is it one of those? You know, broadband calls saying that your broadband's gone down and we will try and help you. One of those uh, scam calls is it the Microsoft computer scam calls? I'm not too sure what type of call it is, but in the UK, anyhow, uh, one of the numbers we've got here has been uh, reported as a harassment call. So I would say on that one, uh, maybe just don't answer it uh, and leave it alone. Don't ring it back because sometimes with these particular scams, it's when people ring them back, you're ringing an actual premium line. And while you think you're just ringing a normal number, it's costing you a fortune. When you get your bill in or your credit you realise you're down in credit and you could be charged up to three or four euros in your bill so be careful of that but from what we're hearing on that particular number that people have texted, in and especially the, the person on text uh, the number you have is clearly the number in the UK that has been reported for harassment so I would not uh, answer that particular number but any number with 00441903 that's the code just be careful of it. There's a few different variations in the number but the majority of them are being reported as harassment calls so take note of that. Not too sure what the scam is. Uh, The caller's don't know because they didn't answer, but be careful if you are receiving that. And jury is something I mentioned earlier on in the show, and this is how the Green Party are ex- want anyhow to extend the hours on Patrick Street's private car ban. At the moment, the ban is from three o'clock until six thirty, but the Greens want to move back the time to twelve noon, which would mean from twelve noon until six thirty, no cars would be allowed drive down Patrick Street obviously taxis are allowed and buses but no private cars on that jury says what now our city is congested enough for us commuters who drive to and from work from county areas we are usually uh, delayed in traffic in the evenings by 45 minutes and I think a lot of this is because of what has happened on Patrick Street by closing off the street what is next at the moment the keys are jammed and the area around the Elyson is jammed every evening So if Patrick Street is to close earlier, will the whole city be gridlocked? And if I hear one more person asking about public transport, I will lose it. There is no public transport. Buses are late because they can't move around the city because of the traffic. So if you're waiting for a bus and it's late, your employer can't keep excusing you for late buses. And then what other form of transport have we in Cork? None. None. Maybe if you're lucky enough To be living in Cove Carrick Tool Those areas with the trains That might work But it won't work for all It's a disgrace And if they move the time On the ban It will create More hardship For those in the city uh, That's what Jury feels Anyhow a commuter to work And feels that this new idea The ban is bad enough For traffic According to Jury and he feels moving it back to 12 noon, the ban, the pan-a ban on Patrick Street, uh, that it would cause more hassle uh, again. So uh, we will have to wait and see if they do that or not. Not too sure. It's only a proposal at the moment. Uh, and will it cause more traffic chaos? A lot of people think the current situation is causing chaos. And if they do that, will it cause chaos across the day, as in more traffic? And it's evident to see there is more traffic on our roads. Anyhow, Jerry, thank you for that. Uh, to Bernie on 1850-333-103. You can call Bernie or indeed. Text 086 103, 103. On the way, though, we're going to the movies with Mark next.
1: Record today
2: on C 103.
1: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086
2: 103, 103. And Mark Malone joins us for our movie review. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, John Paul. Now, you went along and you saw Rambo. It's back again. This is The Last Blood. First of all, here is the trailer
3: Rambo was the best with guns, with knives. With his bare hands I had a family That I never thought I'd have Uncle John Until they took her You he started this I'll end it I'm gonna tear you apart
2: That's the trailer For Rambo Last Blood And myself and Bernie Were asking earlier on I wonder is Sylvester Stallone In this And he is who else would be I know I, yes, I, well, we were wondering what age is he now and is, would he still be taking part or want to go in these films and obviously he does
5: I don't see Tom Hanks playing Rambo no. somehow do you <laughs> no
2: not, not Tom Hanks no <laughs> but Sylvester Stallone I'm well able I mean I'm still looking in, in good shape for is it, you were saying 73
5: 73 now I think yeah but he doesn't do a lot of uh, an awful lot of running around in this let's make you know, oh, well, quite clear you know what yeah. I mean You know, if there is any running around you know it's a stunt man. and uh, <laughs> okay. you know it doesn't take too much to have a knife in an arm and stab somebody I mean you know I could do <laughs> yeah. that you know, but he's in great shape I mean he is he's still full of muscle I mean you know it, it just goes to show you that if you put the effort in you there know you, you can still look pretty the good the age is only number mark at the age of 73 <laughs> uh, yeah so Sylvester on back again this is the fifth one now I'm going to ask you you're much younger than me how many, how many Rambo films have you seen I didn't
2: think there was five I thought there was only three
5: there's been four and to be four and, and, and now there's this no, one, this, this, is the, one yeah. this is the fifth
2: um, I've only seen, I'd say, two out of three. All right. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't realise there was that many. Unfortunately. When was the first one?
3: Hmm?
5: When
2: was the first one?
5: Uh, the first one was back in, eighty, eighty-one, eighty-two 80, 81, 82, around then. Okay. And I saw that in the cinema, actually, and, uh, and I really liked it. I thought it was really, really good, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, he, basically, he was a, this kind of Vietnam kind of veteran coming back to the States and basically not being treated very well. And then he has kind of this domestic war. And uh, with the second one, he decided to rewrite history. He went back into Vietnam to kind of rescue American prisoners of, of war that were remaining there. Then he rewrote history again in Rambo 3 by uh, teaming up with the Mujahideen because then in that film it was the Russians who were the bad guys in this and in Rambo Simply named Rambo. This one was, I think, around 2008. Uh, he went to Burma, which is now Myanmar, uh, to take on the Burmese army and, uh, single-handedly. And uh, he did so and, and, and won. And so here he is now again. I mean, it is extraordinary that he's still making these things, but then, you know, he is the king of the sequels, really. And, you know, with the Rocky movies, at least, you know, the Creed movies were really good, and, and the last Rocky movie wasn't bad. Uh, but here we are. I mean, you know, this is where he finally trips up, because every time he's making these movies and they turn out to be pretty good, you are kind of surprised when I heard that there was going to be another Rambo film, I just think, no, because I do remember sitting and watching the Rambo film back in 2008 and just thinking, why am I sitting in the cinema? Why am I watching this stuff? Because politically, of course, it was completely unacceptable. You know what I mean? All this kind of <laughs> yeah. fat wigging kind of nonsense. So this time, the bad guys are the Mexican cartels, because... Um, He's living close to the um, American border. Uh, he has uh, an, um, um, a niece uh, who he lives with, and she decides to go over the border to Mexico. He says, Look, I don't want you to go there because they're a bad man there. Uh, of course, your, first, your next thought is, Well, that's taken, isn't it? That's where Liam Neeson was able to see into the future and know that his daughter was going to go to Paris and was going to be kidnapped and uh, sold as a sex slave, even though you know billions of people go to Paris every year and have lovely holidays and nothing happens. And so he says, Look, I don't want you to go because you know, something bad's going to happen. And she does, and she's get uh, kidnapped by the cartels. So he decides then to to to, to go uh, in and rescue her. And as you'd expect, uh, lots of blood is let, and there is lots of guns and violence and and bombings. Because at the start of the film, we know that uh, he has um, he has uh, built all these tunnels underneath his house. These tunnels are you know twelve feet high, and he's done them all by himself. And you're like no you haven't no no man could possibly do that but this is Rambo this is Rambo yeah, yeah. so because uh, then because he's of course booby-trapped the whole place you know look the last 20 minutes is going to be the battle in these tunnels because of course in Vietnam he was one of those kind of tunnel guys and look the thing is that they had a lot of problems with this um, certainly when they showed it to audiences audiences weren't best pleased uh, they went back and um, they did a lot of reshoots uh, and at the, last movie, at the last minute they decided to cut the film right down so there's an awful lot taken out of this film so it's, it's 90 minutes which is really really short and it does actually it does make it shorter and fast paced it really does it makes it a really 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 solid kind of 90 minutes which isn't bad because for a lot of the film you know, not much really happens. Really, it's just kind of him, basically, kind of sharpening his knives and going, "I'm going to kill you," kind of a thing. You know what I mean? And some of the violence, when it does happen, is quite. You know, because it did get an R rating in the states, which I think is about 15 here. And uh, it, um, and there are times when you think, "Wow, okay," you know, they've stepped up the the violence here. But then again, that's what people want. You know what I mean? I mean, the thing is, is that there have been critics, obviously, who say, "Look, it's a lot of old rubbish." But when you think about it, when you think of the the people who are going to go and watch a, a Rambo movie, they're going to get exactly what they want. That's what they want.
2: And you know what you're going to get when you're going to watch Rambo.
5: Exactly. And you get it. And yeah. uh, and you know, um, the weird thing though, because they cut so much out of it, and because they were editing right up to the last minute when they released mm. the film, they'd already released the trailer. So actually, when I watched the trailers and then watched the film, I'm thinking, "Well, where's that scene I saw on the trailer?" So keep oh. that in mind. If you see the okay. trailer. You will, see, you will see stuff in the trailer that you're not going to see in the film. And also there is an after credit sequence which does explain a lot by the way and just keep that in mind. So
2: stay in the cinema.
5: Because I was going to leave mm. and and I noticed people weren't and I looked around and I, I actually got on my phone and, and I realised and I looked it up and I said oh there's an after credit sequence and I went
2: alright okay so that's, uh, so that's really important. To do. So they'll so rush out when the credits roll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Gerard first of all in says, saw Rambo quite good very entertaining has an 18 cert for a reason though says that's 18 yeah. Yeah, and Liam uh, says a great film I agree with Mark about Rambo uh, but yeah some parts the violence took me by surprise <laughs> <So> <laughs> there is one scene alright where you just think
5: whoa and it's kind of something that you don't really see very often but uh, yeah look exactly look if you're a fan of Rambo you'll know and you'll want uh, exactly what you see here 90 minutes of this stuff uh, if uh, you know if you like Tolkien um, which we'll talk about in a couple of seconds yeah. you might not like Rambo particularly alright
2: well out of 10 what would you give Rambo
5: do you know I, I have to say I was entertained by it and uh, in no, even though it's nonsense, I still give it 7.
2: 7, that's good. Yeah. So 7 out of 10 for Rambo, Last Blood in the cinemas. Now, uh, Sylvester Stallone, still entertaining. Uh, well done to him. Now, Tolkien, you mentioned there, that's the DVD uh, you've got. Uh, and it's also available on streaming. Just tell us about this, uh, Tolkien. It's Tolkien. Or oh, Tolkien, is it? And for okay.
5: some reason, yeah. I've always said Tolkien. I, Tol- I would think had. it's Tolkien. Everybody it's
2: says Tolkien. And it's spelled
5: like that, but Tolkien. Tolkien, yeah. They make uh, a number of references to this in the film just to make sure that everybody in the future will know. It. It's a bit like the Comet. We started off as Halley's Comet, and then it became (laughs) Halley's Comet. And then then somebody said, oh, no, it's Halley's. Was it Halley's now? Yeah, apparently so. (laughs) Uh, So uh, Tolkien here, yeah, played by uh, Nicholas Holtz. So what this does is uh, we know Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and so on. Mm. And um, this basically kind of concentrates on kind of the first kind of 25 years of his life, uh, you know, uh, from a young boy going to college and then going to war and then getting the ideas of uh, these extraordinary books uh, written by this extraordinary man and so when we see uh, the two young boys Nicholas Holt uh, and his brother uh, very early on uh, their father has passed away they're being looked after by their mother they live in this kind of idyllic kind of English countryside uh, pre the First World War and then unfortunately she says look we're going to lose the house because you know the father has passed away we then we now have got to move to industrialised Birmingham and the boys aren't particularly very pleased she passes away soon after that she dies uh, rather young so the boys are left orphaned Uh, luckily Colomini as father Francis uh, kind of takes them under his wing and asks Pam Ferris, who's this very very well-off rich woman uh, in the area to um, adopt the boys and look after them and sponsor them basically and she does so and she's got so much money they do go to the best schools so what could have been kind of an extraordinary kind of a sad kind of story uh, ends up in fact these boys having this extraordinary lifestyle and this extraordinary um, um, education and from there from kind of what I don't know how they would reference primary school he then goes to Oxford University and then he meets up with a group of Uh, young men, super intelligent who are into poetry and they're into writing and they're into all this kind of stuff and uh, with these boys and he begins to kind of develop this extraordinary imagination and one of the criticism of the film in fact is that it's done in a kind of a really kind of a clunky way so here he is with these this, this group of young boys so therefore it's like a fellowship but at no stage do they say the word fellowship you know <laughs> when he's on the battlefront you know he he, he gets visions of kind of dragons um, and and beasts um, uh, on, uh, 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 on the battlefield and people say oh well there's Mordor and people say that that's done in a really clunky clunky and kind of kind of patronizing way and I didn't find that at all in fact when I was watching it I thought it was really really done very well because it knows stages, you get that kind of exposition, that kind of thing. Okay, this is what's happening. Now he falls in love with uh, Lily Collins, so therefore he has to find a ring uh, so that, uh, you know, he can ask her to marry him. And but it's done in a beautiful. I think I think they they, they kind of skirted all of that beautifully with beautiful writing. And uh, the film is actually written by uh, David Gleason, who's from Limerick, and uh, and Stephen Bereswood. And I think they did it really really well. And I thought it was really romantic and sweet. And a lot of people kind of said it was very very boring. I didn't find that at all. And and, and a lot of it I think is down to the performances of Nicholas Holt and Lily Collins, who are absolutely kind of wonderful. And he gets all this aspiration, like like all writers do. I mean, I think J.K. Rowling. If you look at where she used to live and I think there are, I've seen a couple of things on YouTube where they go around where she used to live and find little alleyways and find names on street names that she used and was able to ma- manipulate, which all writers do. And if you like films like maybe The Imitation Game or The Theory of Everything, which were films which are kind of similar to this, <clears throat> I think you will like this very, very much indeed. You know, Oxford at the time in the early 30s is beautifully kind of reimagined. Uh, I thought it was lovely. And even though it's very slow moving, it's beautifully done. I really liked it. I mean, I don't understand why people didn't.
2: And it gives people into an insight in how the whole like Lord of the Rings and, and those books, how they all came together. Well, yeah. I mean, we yeah. all take inspiration from everywhere.
5: And so he mm-hmm. took his information from these boys that he, he hung around with, the war, of course, and to
2: produce these extraordinary books. Out of 10? I give it um, 8. 8? Very high yeah. rating. 8 out of 10 for Tolkien. <laughs> we got it right. Tolkien, very good. 8 out of 10. Mark, thank you for that. And back again next week, Mark Malone, which our movie review. Were you a fan of Notting Hill, Mark? Do
5: you know did I like a lot of Notting Hill Yeah Why do, why yeah. do you ask?
2: Uh, we're going to play Ronan One of the soundtracks To All Notting Hill right,
5: yeah. Do you yeah. know the only th- bit I didn't like Go on is, And that's when Richard Curtis Gets really cutie cutie Is when he tries to With Julia Roberts Get over a wall Into a private garden Oh yeah And yeah. he says Oopsie daisy And he not only says <laughs> it once He says it twice And I think that was cringy The rest of it I really liked I There we are it, I thought it was good Good from the
2: late 90s Here's Ronan good Thanks good. Mark Okay <laughs> That's it. Patricia is back with you Monday morning from 10. Thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced. I'm John Paul McNamara. (coughs)